Welcome to the School of Splice. I'm Alan. And I'm Rashad. And in this episode, we're going to help you build a viable media business by exploring one of the challenges that many media entrepreneurs face. Stuff like understanding your community, the people who read and listen or watch your content. That's right. Your community can make or break your business, literally. So understanding who your audience is and what they're motivated by is really key to unlocking that growth. No matter whether you're a for-profit company or like today's entrepreneur, a non-profit. I started in 2018 because I was studying media and communication and I found my passion for storytelling or journalism and photography there. And then I wanted to find work experience. So I joined Mail Magazine and I've been with Mail since 2018 and now I'm the current editor. That was Jason Hendricks, an editor and writer at Meld Magazine, a non-profit media outlet run by volunteer students that produce news for international students in Melbourne. While many media companies experienced a surge in the early days of the pandemic, for student publications like MELD, the pandemic slowed things down. With international students unable to enter Australia, the publication was being run by volunteers. It made the whole thing a little difficult, especially for the team to keep the pace that they had prior to COVID. We're all students. I mean, we can't be highly effective of like creating consistent content and everything. And over the past few years, we've kind of slowed down a little bit. So I just we would really wanted to pick that pace back up and try to try to like bring Melt Magazine back on its like Mm -hmm. footing. While Melt Magazine is a nonprofit organization, there's still a lot of similarities when compared with any other media startup. Most startups don't begin with large budgets, right? They start small and they try to build there is still a need to find the resources needed to keep the lights on and to connect with new students. Our resources are limited when the number of people who are available to create content are limited. So I really want to try to narrow down on what kind of audience that I want to connect with and what kind of content that we can use to connect to our audience. Towards that, the end goal definitely is to try to see if because we are all volunteers and I want to try to, in the future, to step away from that and to create an income so I can properly compensate for the writers, which are all international uh, students. So unlike for-profit organizations, which rely on income made through advertising or subscriptions, Meld Magazine is non-profit. All the contributors are volunteers and the work is funded through grants, donations and collaborations. In terms of income, the most recent one that we are currently doing now is we are actually collaborating with Study Melbourne. Um, So Study Melbourne commissioned us to do a couple of pieces in the future where we Mm -hmm. talk about international students. So that's uh, sometimes our source of like income. But this is one of the first ones that directly pays for the writers and the videographers, the photographer. Usually, if we collaborate with organizations, we get funding to do the project and like the for the costs of like creating of the project, but not really compensate for the writers because we all understand that we were volunteers. Coming into the school of splice, Jason had a problem that many media entrepreneurs are currently struggling with. 
figuring out how to build a successful content strategy in this post-pandemic world. And at this point, we want to bring in Jane Money, who was previously the head of Reader Revenue at Private Media, an independent media business based in Melbourne. And they run publications like Crikey and Smart Company. Jane is so amazing. They worked with Jason on some strategies that Mel could use to understand its audience and then use that knowledge to create content that's more aligned to the needs of that Meld community. And the key to those conversations are centered around a theory called jobs to be done. I love this. It's kind of a product uh, management theory. And the idea is that when someone buys a product or you know, subscribes to some or a service or something like that, they're hiring you to do a job. So the example that I would give when it comes to like news publications is, you know, if say we have a morning email that goes out with sort of day's headlines, you know, there's a lot of news orgs that send out their sort of morning briefing email. And we might decide that, okay, we've had this going for a year, a year or so now, let's give it a bit of a facelift. Let's find out how we can improve it. So you'd go to the audience and maybe you'd give them a couple of versions or you'd get them to rate how they feel about different sections and that sort of thing. And then you take that information away and you go and improve it, put it out in the world. So that's how people normally approach product improvements or new products and jobs to be done. The idea is we sort of ask ourselves, like, what job are we being hired for? Like, what problem are we solving? And we start our audience research with that. So it's quite open-ended. You want to understand very broadly what, you know, if we're talking about international students, like, what are the issues they face? What are the problem areas? What is their day-to-day life like? So a little backstory, Jobs To Be Done is a framework for understanding customer actions and it actually dates back to the 60s, but then it was largely forgotten about until the early 2000s. It's a pretty basic theory. The framework can help you visualize the actions taken by a customer. So that might be like signing up to your website or reading an article or making a subscription payment. So we'll put a link to more details on how the framework works in the episode description. But as always, Jane has a great way of explaining it. Going back to that newsletter example, you might do this research and find out that actually the job that your morning newsletter is doing for most of your readers is entertaining them on their computer. Mm. So then you go like, well, okay, we're not just competing with every other morning news email. We're now competing with like the podcast they could be listening to or scrolling through Facebook or looking out the window or reading an actual book. So you start designing based on that, like, okay, we're here to sort of give someone something they want during their commute. And it might be the case that you then go like, well, actually, a newsletter is not the best way of doing that. It's a podcast or it's an Instagram reel or it's a TikTok video. So you become quite agnostic about what product you end up with as long as it's meeting that need. So that's essentially what we're trying to do in this survey is like, okay, who do we, we'll start with who we think the audience is and what we think their needs are. But we sort of, that's what we want to find out. And that kind of then, you know, you go through that information, you start finding trends of like, I mean, you've been an international student, so obviously you've got a like really great insight, but things have changed, you know, COVID's (laughs) come. So there might be, it might be that the needs of like the current kind of cohort of international students has changed quite a lot. So then you can start building your content strategy around like what people actually need is like a guide on how to, you know, navigate housing 
when you're coming back into the country after COVID or something like that. Exactly. So, mm. but I definitely kind of understand what you mean. It, it's not about like the form of it. It's mm. more about like, you know, what are you trying to help them with? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So it's. Mm. I mean, and I think we often do this as sort of journalists and or people in any business. We think here's this great product, like this is what people want, instead of sort of understanding their needs. And you know, sometimes people will be like, "Well, people don't know what they want," and there is a bit of that, but you can sort of meet in the middle. Look, as journalists, it's easy to focus on a story. After all, that's a bread and butter of what we do. However, being an entrepreneur means thinking about the business as a whole. Your product might be a newsletter. It might be news articles posted on a website, perhaps a podcast, or even videos on YouTube. Unless you understand who your audience is and how your product fits into their lives, you can't build a business strategy that's going to be successful. And one of the best ways to understand your audience is to ask them directly. So you run a survey. You find out as much about your audience and their habits as possible. Ask them questions like. What do you do for work? How many people are in your family? Where do you live? How much do you earn? What do you do when you're bored? And when do you read, listen, or watch content? A successful survey needs to be fairly quick for people to complete. Nobody wants to fill in a huge form, but you can glean a large amount of detail from your community in literally just a few minutes. Don't feel afraid to ask personal questions because that's how you're going to understand your audience and what their motivations are. Jane had some great tips for Jason on how to go about creating and collecting an audience survey. Have you ever built a survey before? It wasn't me. It was made from someone、um, previously, like in the organization, and made a Google form. I think、okay. it was like a quick survey of like what the reader's content was. But I think.、Um, It didn't really reach as many people as we hoped that it would. Well, Google Form, Typeform,、um, SurveyMonkey—they all like they're pretty self-explanatory.、Um, but we can, if you set that up, I can help you with it, obviously.、Definitely. And then, yeah, the next step will be working out who you are sending the survey to, whether you're putting it out on social media, whether you have an email list that you can send to. We can put together a bit of a like comm strategy around that. When you just put these things out into the world once, they tend not to go、yeah. anyway. You need to,、yes. yeah. You need to give、um, it a prompt. Yes, yes, you do over and over and over. Yeah, once that's out in the world, we can dig through the responses, have a think, and then、um, work on a plan of what's what's kind of next. So whether that's content plan, whether we.、Um, Sort of put that survey together and think like, oh, we should start a new social media channel talking about this particular issue, or maybe you'll set up an email list or something like that. But we can use the survey responses to really guide like what are the next steps. Because yeah, it might be really interesting that you come into this sort of thinking like, okay, I want to know our content strategy, but it may be more like. The content strategy is fine. We're just not on this particular platform where our audience is, or something like、mm. that. So we can kind of use it to、um, get a sense of not only who the audience is and what they need, but like where they want those needs to be met. So, using the survey data, you should try and identify some power users. These are the people who always read and engage with the content. Look for what's different about these fans. How are their consumption habits different from others? You might even want to follow up with a phone call to get a more in-depth perspective. 
So back in our foundation lessons, we spoke about the concept of having a thousand true fans. The whole idea that you don't need large audiences to be successful. You just need a thousand passionate fans. If you can figure out what motivates your true fans or your true believers, you can double down on what's motivating them. If you want to learn more about identifying your true fans, then go back to listen to episode three of our School of Splice Foundation series. But for Meld Magazine, the audience, remember, is largely made up of international students living in Melbourne. That's their universe. But amongst that community, there are subsets. But then you start breaking that community down into separate audiences. So, for example, there are students who are thinking about moving to Australia to study. There are active students. And then there are those who have now finished studying but still job hunting. You know that horrible phase. Understanding the motivation of the audience can enable you to develop this holistic content strategy that is really led by the needs of your community rather than simply guessing what will work. Over the past year, Jason noticed that the male community was growing despite the challenges that they had early on with COVID. And this is surprising given it was a difficult time for the publication due to the lack of international students in Australia. As part of their mentoring, Jane and Jason tried to figure out what was driving this growth and how Mel could tap into this demand to deliver new forms of content. Oh, for the past year, I've seen a growing community, surprisingly. Why, why do you think that is? There are two reasons. First mm. of all, uh, migration. One of the main goals of students who come here is to retain permanent residency. And one of the immigration requirements um, recently for international students to get a working visa, an extended working visa, is for them to stay or to study in mm-hmm. regional areas. Mm-hmm. We can maybe start moving into like what problems do each of these segments want me to solve kind of identified one there is like permanent visas is potentially like that's that's yeah something that people are interested in what would you say you're kind of solving for people definitely i think what we see from a lot of the international community is about work opportunities mm-hmm. so finding jobs networking with people in mm-hmm. the industry there's another one as well is definitely about social life like finding friends uh, mental health. I guess like in general, the way that I usually approach the articles, especially the news, there are five categories that, uh, that international student life that's really important to them. I think that uh, first of all is migration, work, tenancy, uh, financial, sexual health, and mental health. Migration was in there. So does that fall under permanent visas or could it also be like student visas as well? It comes down to like visas in general, like migration in general. I feel like there's a lot of um, like work opportunities. I'm like, oh, do you have like, you know, like there's a lot of sort of revenue opportunities around like job listings, networking, like and social Mm. life, like obviously, you know, events and stuff. Obviously, like international students aren't, well, any student, Mm. most students don't have a lot of money, like disposable income. Using your survey data and the knowledge from your internal analytics, you can learn a lot about your community. Your goal as a media entrepreneur is to use all of this information to build a better product for your audience. You need to understand the problems they have so you can create a solution. Going back to the idea of the jobs to be done framework that we spoke about earlier, your audience wants to hire you to fill a void in their life. There's something that's missing. 
And it's your job to provide them with the information or entertainment or decision-making that they need. Don't just look at what's working well. You need to analyze the stuff that isn't working. So this really can be the key to figuring out what your audience needs. Here's Janie Octia from Meta's news partnerships team. It's common for newsrooms to track and reward stories that do well, but it's rare to find newsrooms who pay a lot of attention to underperforming stories. Understanding why some stories are not getting a lot of attention will raise questions like, how can we make this important story relatable? Or should we rethink timing when there's a lot of breaking news? Why are audiences not paying attention to this topic when they have in the past? A media organization that doesn't pay attention to the trends within its own business and the broader market will likely fail. If you can understand your audience and use that knowledge to build a strong community and to give them what they need, you will be well on your way to building a sustainable media business. What's the most useful advice for someone starting up in media today? First, always pay attention to other content creators outside of media or news engage with their audience. Gaming, for example. There's a lot we can learn from them that could work for news as well, but we just haven't tried. Second, ask younger people around you where they get and how they consume information. I'm at an age where it's hard to form new habits and even more difficult to break old ones. So speaking with people younger than me is my way of keeping up with trends. Hey, thanks for listening to The Schoolest Place. This episode was hosted by me, Rashad, and Alan Soon. Production by that beautiful team at Lawson Media. If you want to learn more about your audience and your community, we've put some useful resources in the episode show notes. You can find all our other episodes and meet the rest of this amazing media startup community at our website, schoolersplice.com, or come to planetsplice.com and hang out with us. We'll speak to you again soon.